to the Mad Wild West podcast. Kick your boots off and stay a while because you're about to hear the stories lost in time from the people that lived and made the Wild West mad. Welcome back to the Mad Wild West podcast. I hope you all had a better 2021 than I did. Apologize for the lengthy absence. I had health issues, lost jobs that caused that year to kind of get flushed down the toilet. But just like in the Mad Wild West, what do we do when adversity hits? We don't cry over it. We dust off our cowboy hat, hop back in the saddle, and we ride again. So welcome back to the Mad Wild West podcast and a new season. Enjoy the stories and enjoy the ride into the Mad Wild West. All right, my Wild West fans, it is news time. Let's check it out and see what's going on in the newspapers back in the Mad Wild West. This comes from the weekly Calaveras Chronicle, April 14, 1866, Electricity as a Curative Agent. That's the title there. This should be interesting. When it was proclamated by the directors of the Electropathic Institute, the disease could be entirely eradicated from the system without the use of poisonous drugs. The thoughtless and those who do not look deeply into cause and effect scouted the assertion as obscene and wrote long articles replete with philosophy claiming that only through the digestive system could the blood be purged of the poisons which constitute disease. A great cry went up from those continued supremacy of the old system of one poison to cure another. All of the empirics joined in the course and in their ignorance laughed at the new system, circulating stories of its ill success and quoting imaginary cases as proofs. Time has demonstrated their dishonesty. After five years of uninterrupted success of the electropathic system is the leading idea in medical prudence. While by the old system, physicians were content to cure one in every five cases, there were those who were diving deep into the science of the curative arts. Among these were the electropathicists. Finally, it was discovered that the failure in most of the cases of organic disease was entirely due to the machine. Taking this view of the case, Dr. J. H. Jocelyn, after years of experiment, has perfected an electropathic instrument which will cure any disease which flesh is air. Always to be understood that the case is not so far advanced as to show a destruction of the vital tissues. We do not claim that the use of medicines may not be more advantageous in some cases, but in the connection with medicines, it will perform a cure much sooner than without, and also that disease hitherto deemed incurable can be cured by the system. But the directors would take this opportunity to inform invalids that the resident physician is a regular graduate and has had a large experience in the treatment of diseases both both with and without the aid of electricity. He has also discovered several electric vegetable remedies that will cure almost any nameable disease, which he will send to any part of the Pacific coast upon receipt of a complete description of the disease with which the applicant may be afflicted. 
and will warrant a perfect cure in all cases where the medicines are used according to directions, more special in cases of female troubles where great care and caution are necessary for a favorable result. From early morning until late at night, this instrument is employed in pairing health and strength to all who are so fortunate as to obtain its services. Diseases which, by the old system, took months or even years to cure are now cured in a few days or weeks. The cost, too, is not so great as by the old system, besides the saving of time. Connected with this system is the renowned electromagnetic baths. Wow. And you can find that Electropathic Institute at 645 Washington Street. They promise it'll cure just about anything. You might as well throw a toaster in the bath, folks. But hey, maybe it worked for somebody. I hope it did. But there's some of the crazy cures from the mad Wild West. All right, another news flash from the same paper in Calaveras County, California, 1866. What would we do if there was no gold talked about in this uh, Mad Wild West podcast? Here we go. Just a little uh, side note they put in the paper here. It says, we were shown this week by Mr. Well of our town some of the richest dirt taken from a claim in Old Rich Gulch, which we have ever seen in California. The formation in which the gold is found appears to be a mixture of decomposed quartz and cement, so hard, however, that it will have to be crushed before the precious metal can be extracted. A pound and a quarter of the dirt after being crushed in the mortar yielded $20. A cut has been run across the lead, which is about five feet in width, and we are informed by several gentlemen who have visited the ground that the specimens shown us are a fair sample of the entire vein. We understand that the owners have already commenced preparations for putting up an astria, and when they begin crushing, we have no doubt we shall be able to chronicle larger returns from this claim than from any other lead in the state. There you go. From Old Rich Gulch. Hopefully those guys made a ton of money in the Mad Wild West. All right, a Mad Wild West public service announcement. This comes from the weekly Calaveras Chronicle. April 14th, 1866. I just want to pass this on to you guys just in case. Antidote for poison. If arsenic is taken, swallow the white of an egg. If acid poison is taken, such as sulfuric acid, pyrsic acid, etc., swallow soda and water. Salt and mustard taken in warm water, you will vomit immediately. There you go. There's your PSA from 1866. All right, some more news. This one, same newspaper, Calaveras Chronicle in California, 1866, and this is April 14th. Here's an interesting one. Now, you got to remember, this is about a year after the Civil War had ended and supposed to be freeing African Americans, but this is what it says. The Civil Rights Bill passed the House on the 9th by a vote of 122 to 18 and is now law. The first suit under the Civil Rights Bill was commenced at Lafayette, Indiana on the 10th. Prominent friends of the president report that he will enforce the Civil Rights Bill in good faith, quoting the remark that he having exercised his prerogative in vetoing the bill and Congress having passed the measure over the veto, he feels bound to execute the law. Just a little plug here, folks. I've got a new book out on Amazon. 
It's called American Slave. If you get a chance, I highly recommend, not just because it's a book that I put together, but it is eye-opening, very eye-opening, especially people that may not be African-American. I believe African-Americans probably know a lot of these stories, but it's a book that I took three different men that were slaves during the 1800s and then supposedly free in 1865 at the end of the Civil War, and they write their stories of being born into slavery and then supposedly being free and even times up in the north, and they wrote it as old men looking back on their lives, and it is powerful. The stories are horrifying, but I think it's good for everybody to read these and have compassion on what has happened to the African-Americans in America. You might look at Los Angeles as where the rich and the famous live, where Hollywood movies are made. But back in the Mad Wild West days, guess what? There was a revolution going on. And with a revolution comes a lot of blood. So let's read about it as our main story in this podcast. The noble race of California Spaniards has greatly deteriorated by its association with the conquering gringo. The truth is, the gringo spoiled him. He isn't half the man he was in the days of revolutions and rawhides. The author has heretofore referred to the Jack Powers Revolution in Santa Barbara and will hereafter relate the revolutionary effort of Juan Flores. But this most truthful chapter will be devoted to John Rain's revolution, which occurred in the City of Angels in December 1852. Times were lively. Money was most abundant. Monte dealers and merchants were waxing rich. The cattle market was buoyant. Fandangos and fiddling was the order of the day. Festivities throughout the land ran high. Everyone seemed happy. Everyone was over-prosperous, and everyone ought to have been happy. The California Spaniard was the most prosperous mortal on the footstool, and should have been the happiest. He had everything his longing heart could crave, except his revolution. That was his dearest and most sacred privilege, and the only one generous gringo refused to accord him. When the gringo planted his liberty pole on Fort Hill, he sealed the doom of the revolution in California. Still, the noble dons pinned for a revolution. Guadalupe Sanchez, with a half-dozen hot-headed followers, raised the standard of liberty one beautiful summer night in 1852, occupied the plaza, fired off their revolvers, gave their hoots and hollers, got glorious and patriotically drunk, trailed their banner in the dust, and so ended that revolution. John Raines was an untamed Mustang, full of mischief, and up to all kinds of deviltry. The Angel City was full of idle, wild, harem-schemed fellows of the vagabond persuasion who did little else than play at the billiards, buck at the money, kill time, and have a good time in general. No better material could have been found anywhere, and John concluded to edify the longing Spaniard with a revolution so the bold leader put himself about organizing. Two weeks were thus occupied. Two hundred men enrolled. The utmost secrecy was observed. Not a soul but the initiated knew of the plot. Hodges was mayor. The eventful night arrived, as they always do. At midnight, the revolution broke forth in all its fury. The plaza was occupied and burst forth on the midnight air, rekindling the dormant fire that slumbered in the patriotic bosom of the slumbering dons, and carrying dismay to the uninitiated and surprised gringo awakened from his sleep by pandemonium let loose. 
In 15 minutes, 50 gringos under Jim Littleton stood in defiant in front of the Bella Union, determined to maintain gringo supremacy, even if they had sacrificed the last barkeeper and bottle in all Angel Land. A detail was accordingly made to raid the Bella Union Bar, and another to hunt up the mayor and take command and oppose the uprising. In due time, both objects were accomplished, and wine flowed as wine had never flowed before, and whiskey was free. By this time, the gringo lament was awake. The clatter of Calvary resounded on the midnight air as they dashed up and down Upper Main Street. A hurried council of war resulted in the conclusion that the courthouse would be the first object of attack. So armed gringos hastily thrown into places, leaving a reserve at the junction of Main and Commercial with a picket at Commercial and Los Angeles streets, moved bravely into the plaza. The mayor marching valiantly at the head of the column. He, however, suggested that Jim Littleton should be the commander in action and should be entitled to all the honors consequent on victory, while the mayor would be present and sanction any and all measures necessary to an effectual suppression of the revolution. Reaching the corner of the plaza where the Pico House now stands, the Littleton Gringo group were received by a scattering from all quarters of the plaza with the battle cry of revolution. And the centurion voice roared, and the clatter of cavalry was heard going through the alleys like a tornado, which causes the general to order the group to fall back, which it did quick time, as the question was which would reach the Baker Block corner first, the rebel cavalry or the gringo group. Between the plaza and Arcadia Street stood at that day the first monument of gringo enterprise, a brick culvert which ran diagonally across the street and was about 40 feet long, 4 feet wide at the base, and forming an arch, which was just high enough to admit a person in a low, stooping posture. Now that old culvert was the most infernal nuisance, being frequented by vagabonds and a place of convenience, which rendered the interior thereof unpleasant odorous. General Littleton, finding that the cavalry would reach the objective point first, came to a sudden halt at the culvert and seizing the mare by the arm, said, Hodge, it's our only chance. Get in quick. We're cut off. To hesitate was, as the mayor thought, certain death. So into the culvert went the chief gringo of this semi-gringo city, bearing the honors of the great gringo nation on his broad back. His honor was safe, and the group, dividing itself, took positions at either end and opened a defiant fire on the rebels, who now charged them on all sides. The conflict was terrific. The din of battle was fearful. Above all could be heard the lion-like roar of Jim Littleton as he urged the group to stand their ground and to remember the Alamo and let the last man die rather than yield. The mayor was safe, he was snug as a bug in a rug, and never a word did speak, until an immense gringo cheered announced the victory of the group, and a few scattering shots gave proof that the rebels had been repulsed. Then his honor emerged from his place of refuge and rejoined the victorious gringos with their inquiry, how many were killed? Then the commander ordered the group to fall back on the reserve at Commercial Street, an order easier given than executed. 
As the wounded were so numerous that the movement was consequently slow and painful, several were left dead, and apparently so at the culvert, the mayor suggested that no further harm could befall the poor fellows. Samuel Arbuckle's store at the corner of Commercial and Main was the gringo's headquarters, and the back room thereof converted into a hospital, where the mayor was conducted. On entering, all the horrors of war presented itself to his terrifying gaze. Surgeons with sleeves tucked up, bloody bandages, wounded men groaning in agony, lying around everywhere. Every few minutes, some bleeding victim of the revolution would be brought in, and the doctors had their hands full. The hills smile in the beauty when kissed by the morning sun. Peace reigns supreme in the angel city. The night of disorder is succeeded by the morning tranquility. So another revolution squashed in the lovely city of Los Angeles. If you're one of our listeners and you pass by the corner of Commercial and Main, the old Samuel Arbuckle store, just take a moment and look at that and know what happened there. That was the converted hospital in the story. And maybe when you're walking down Los Angeles Street and some of these other streets mentioned, think back 160, 170 years ago, what was going on there and the horrors and the things that these men did in the mad Wild West. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and the crazy stories. And until the next episode, keep your horses tied up. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Mad Wild West Podcast. Kick your boots off and stay a while because you're about to hear the stories lost in time from the people that lived and made the Wild West mad. Mm-hmm.